Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us on a Monday. We appreciate you choosing this radio program. A lot of them out there. So thanks for joining us for your information update today. This is Tony Beam, Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brazier Campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and for society. I also serve as Director of Public Policy for the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and I'm currently the interim pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church over in Simpsonville. All right, right off the bat today, we're going to start talking about the economy because there's some new information that came out on Friday that caused the stock market to take a dive. And the reason is the numbers were not all that great. There's some good information in this report, but there's also troubling information about the stubbornness of inflation. Most of this information I'm going to share with you today came from the Morning Wire Cabot Phillips over at Daily Wire. Uh, overall inflation fell in the month of January. But if you remember, while President Biden was celebrating these inflation numbers and talking about how his policies are driving down inflation and we're going to win inflation, kind of reminds me of the win buttons. Remember, I think it was under Nixon or was it Ford, Gerald Ford, whip inflation now. Um, and, and President Biden seems to be kind of channeling his best Gerald Ford when he talks about winning as it relates to inflation or whipping inflation. But not so, according to Friday, the Department of Commerce released figures for the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index. Okay, that's better known as the PCE. It revealed a 5.4% increase in inflation compared to the same month last year. Now, that's considerably higher than economists had predicted, and it's, it's an increase from January. Now, this is different from the overall consumer price index. The PCE actually measures the direct influence of inflation and what you're actually paying for prices. So as that number goes up, it reveals not just for the economy what the impact is, but it reveals what the personal impact is on your personal economy. Um, it, it, it measures, and, and by the way, the feds, when they look at that number, they take that number more seriously than the consumer price index when it comes to determining monetary policy. So because that number is up so high from a year ago, 5.4% increase from last year, um, the monetary policy is going to continue to lean toward rising interest rates. So we can expect those interest rates to go up in the coming months. And, of course, that's affecting a lot of other parts of the economy. Um, stocks values, as we said, they took a pretty steep dive on Friday. Now stock futures are up today, and we'll we'll see what, what that uh, says about the market going into this week. But the market is is really on this roller coaster ride, but the overall direction appears to be sort of downward because of the pressure that continues to be put on it from inflation and rising interest rates. Uh, there was some good economic news in all this. There was a 1.8% increase in consumer spending and unemployment, unemployment, which we've talked about before on the program, fell to 3.4%. That's a 53-year low. But here's the problem. 1.8% uh, consumer spending increase doesn't necessarily mean 
that consumers are going out and buying more stuff with disposable income. The 1.8% increase could be reflected in the fact that we're paying that much more for products. So naturally, when prices go up, consumers are spending more. It doesn't necessarily mean they're spending more because they want to go out and spend money on things that they want to buy or they have the disposable income to do so, but they're actually uh, spending a bunch of money uh, on things that they have to have to live, and they're spending more of it. Therefore, you have an increase in consumer spending. Jobless claims were near a record low. And, but, but here's the thing. Low unemployment is another signal to the Fed that they need to continue to raise interest rates because they're trying to cool off the economy. And when you've got businesses out there hiring left and right, which they're still doing post-COVID, in other words, we're still in that window of recovery where businesses are trying to get back to where they were, and as they do, they have to put on more workers. And as they put on more workers, that signals the Fed that economic in, uh, activity is continuing to rise, fueling inflation. And so the Fed raises interest rates. Uh, low and, and, and of course, that's, that, that in, ends up being a self-defeating prophecy. Officials at the Federal Reserve are willing to allow unemployment to in, inch up if it means that it's going to put out the fire of inflation, if it cools down the economy so that inflation takes us to a soft landing. See, this is the big discussion. Um, runaway inflation can lead to a pretty serious recession. And what the Fed's trying to do in raising interest rates is to make sure that we have a soft landing. We don't have a major recession or a contraction of the economy because of the rate of inflation. And so they're they're fighting hard against it. They're raising these interest rates to curtail economic um, activity. And of course, um, the housing market, we find out, is really struggling right now. Uh, the most important fact, uh, factor affecting that, of course, is mortgage rates. Home mortgage rates rose at six point to six point five percent last year. When you went out to buy a home, you could get a, a mortgage all day long for 3.8%, and you could find lower rates with some mortgage brokers. So interest rates have risen faster than any time since the 1980s when it comes to housing. Now, I remember when we bought a house in Lyman, this would have been back in the 1980s. I mean, we were paying 14% interest on a house, on a mortgage payment. Um, when, when we got married in 1980 and we started out, I mean, interest rates were just ridiculous when it came to mortgage payments. So we're not in that territory, but 6.5% is enough to cool off a record year for buying and for building and for increasing equity in people's home value. Last month, home sales fell for the 11th straight month to a 12-year low and new home applications have fallen to a 28-year low. And, of course, the reason is it's just cheaper for people to stay in their homes. I mean, if, if you want to sell your house right now, there's no way if you're going to go buy or build a house, if you're going to build a new home, or if you're going to go buy another home, you're not going to be able to find the kind of interest rate that you probably have if you've been in your house any length of time. So people are holding on to their homes. And, of course, that in, that's decreasing the inventory, the number of houses that are available, and you've got fewer people 
looking for homes at the same time. Uh, people are not motivated the way they normally would be, uh, so inventories are low, and that drives the market down. How these issues affect the presidential primary is a big question. In other words, is the economy front and center on people's minds? Well, according to a new poll of 1,000 Republican primary voters from WPA, a research and analytics firm, the economy is by far the most important issue on the minds of voters. 38% said inflation, rising prices, the economy in general is their number one concern. The only other topic that got double digits, you guessed it, immigration, uh, illegal immigration at 27%. And you can expect that number to rise because we're finding out, we found out last week that we've already had a million encounters at the border with illegal immigrants. This is going to put us on track to blow through any kind of record. you got to remember the, the counting starts in October. So we go from October to October. So from October until now, the end of February, we've already had a million encounters with illegal immigrants at the border. So this is, you know, in spite of all the rhetoric that President Biden has put out there about what they're doing and how, of course, uh, it's just unbelievable that Alejandro Mayorkas can continue to say the border is secure and that Vice President Kamala Harris can say the border is secure. It's secure on our side of the border. I mean, we don't have a lot of Americans bleeding over into Mexico. Maybe that's what they mean. But if they're talking about uh, people coming from Mexico or through across the Mexican-U.S. border, from Honduras, from Venezuela, from uh, El Salvador, from other places around the world, we now know Chinese nationals are, and, and Russians who are trying to get out of Russia uh, because of the war with Ukraine and Chinese nationals that who knows why they're trying to come into the country are now coming across our southern border. And so we, we've got a sieve. Um, it's a serious problem. 27% of Republican primary voters say it's, it's the number one problem in their mind, second only to the number that are worried about the economy, which makes sense. A recent Gallup poll showed 34% of Republicans and Democrats see the economy as the biggest problem facing the country. So WPA looked at 1,000 Republican primary voters. Gallup looked at the country as a whole, and you've got 34%, which is the number one concern in the country right now. And these numbers coming out uh, from the Commerce Department over the weekend are really not doing anything to assuage people's concerns over that. I worked most of the day on Saturday getting my board set up and making it talk to my computer, get my microphone set, camera, all this kind of stuff going on in the living room or the dining room of my house. And you may say, well, what in the world are you doing? Why are you, why are you doing all that? Uh, the reason is because uh, Gary Miller is going to be retiring March 31st. And his radio talk is going to take on a new format. 91.9 and 89.7 is going to become some type of uh, music format. And so the talk programs that you listen to on this radio station are going to be going away. And that includes this one. But this one is uh, going to just change venues. Uh, I've got a website being built right now that's going to be able to handle streaming live and I'm working hard to learn how to do all this. I mean, it's kind of a learning curve for me. I mean, I've sat here for 21 years and let Gary press the buttons, okay? Now I'm going to have to learn how to press the buttons um, to get a podcast recorded 
and to stream live from 7.30 to 8.30, Monday through Friday. So if you're accustomed to listening to the show right now or coming up at least at 7.30 on your way to work, um, you can stream it live on the website that I'll be giving you as we get a little bit closer to the end date for the program on the radio. Um, you'll be able to listen to it through your car. If you've got a smart device, you can take that, stream it, Bluetooth it through your car, and uh, if you don't know how to do that, find find a, a young person and ask them <laughs> how to do it. I had to learn how to do all that stuff myself. But most of my listening to things in the car is now being it, – it goes through my phone because I listen to audiobooks, I listen to podcasts, uh, I can even listen to music through there. Um, still use the radio some, but – um, a lot of it happens through my by syncing or Bluetoothing my phone through the speakers uh, in my truck. So uh, more information about that as we get closer. But just know that this if you like this program and you know people, please spread the word. Help me spread the word. Spread the word on Facebook. We're still going to be doing Facebook Live. I uh, tested the camera this weekend to make sure that it's working properly. It's a, it's a much better picture than what you're seeing now on Facebook, uh, much clearer. It's just it's, it's a camera made for that purpose. It's not a, uh, what we're using now as an uh, older model uh, iPod mini that is, is broadcasting Facebook Live. But we're going to be able to do it um, much better for you uh, going forward. So, all right, uh, let's talk a little bit about the U.S. Department of Energy because according to the Wall Street Journal, a major report this weekend, the Department of Energy has concluded that the COVID pandemic most likely arose from a laboratory leak. Now, that's according to classified intelligence reports that were provided to the White House and also to key members of Congress. Now, what, 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 what you need to know is the Department of Energy has a low amount of confidence in its conclusions. But most of the agencies, there are 18 agencies of the federal government that are related to intelligence. Um, and most of those, a lot of those agencies have put out reports saying what they think happened with COVID-19. How did we get it? Where did it come from? Some say with low confidence that it did come from a natural source. That is, it was um, transferred somehow from an animal, perhaps a bat or maybe some other animal, to humans through contact. But the FBI and all of its investigation that it's looked into has concluded that COVID and, and their confidence is medium. In other words, you've got high, medium, and low confidence in intelligence gathering because we don't ever know when, when we're basing something on intelligence if we don't have all of the information. And we're never going to have all of the information on COVID-19 because the Chinese are just simply not going to give us the details that we need for a, de a definitive report. So you have to kind of step back and go, okay, what is the confidence level here? And the FBI says it's medium. We, we've done enough extensive research that we believe that it's more likely than not that the virus originated out of a Wuhan lab. In other words, it leaked. Now, all of the agencies that have looked at this agree on one thing. They don't agree on a lot, but they do agree that the virus was not some type of biological weapon. In other words, the Chinese didn't develop this virus in order to be used against the West, because, I mean, when you look at it, a lot of 
people in China. I mean, the lockdowns that they've been through and, and what the, the, the pain that that's caused the Chinese government and the setbacks when it's come to the Chinese economy because of the pandemic. So it's, it's much more likely. It's, they, they pretty much ruled out this idea that this was some kind of biological weapons program, but that it was a research project that got out the door and should never have happened. And it could be because some of the research was gain of function, which we've used that phrase a lot on the program. That is the mutation of a virus in order to understand it better. And the United States is not supposed to be investing in gain of function research when it comes to biological um, components. That's a It's a very dangerous thing when you start intentionally trying to get a virus or or uh, to to mutate in some way to become more virulent, uh, to become more contagious, to become stronger in order to study it and to see what would happen if it were to mutate. Something like that gets out and you've got COVID-19. Uh, Wall Street Journal says the shift by the Energy Department, which, which previously un- was undecided on how the virus emerged, is noted in an update to a 2021 document by Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines' office. The new report highlights how different parts of the intelligence community have arrived at disparate judgments about the pandemic's origin. The Energy Department now joins the Federal Bureau of Investigation in saying that the virus likely spread via a mishap at a Chinese laboratory. Four other agencies, along with the National Intelligence Panel, still judge that it was likely the result of a natural transmission, and then two that have looked at it are undecided. So there's four, five, six, about half of the intelligence agencies that are tasked with you know, finding out how things come to be, what's going on in the world, how the United States is affected by actions taken by people overseas. About half of those agencies are saying that have made a determination, and out of that half, two of them have determined that this was not a natural origin that that was the beginning of COVID-19. It actually came from a laboratory in Wuhan. And there are four, I think there's four, um, laboratories there and and so when you when the reason the department of energy is such a um, a bombshell or so shall we say from the news standpoint or it's breaking news is because of the extensive amount of um, scientists and people that are associated with investigations into scientific phenomenon that are associated with the energy department around the world. Their connections are second only to the FBI. And so when you've got two of the top intelligence agencies with access to this information saying, hey, this came from a laboratory. Uh, This is how it emerged. And, and, And then that's significant. Uh, White House, of course, is downplaying it. Um, the National Intelligence Council that conducts long-term strategic analysis, um, you know, they say that it was likely an animal uh, that this that the virus came from, but the Department of Energy is not buying that. Neither is the FBI. Senior U.S. intelligence official confirmed that the intelligence community had conducted the update, whose existence hasn't previously been reported. In other words, we this was done. The Department of Energy had done this. And we didn't know about it until the information was released over uh, at the end of last week. 
The official added that it was done in light of new intelligence, further study of academic literature, and consultation with experts outside the government. The update, which is less than five pages, wasn't requested by Congress, but lawmakers, particularly House and Republicans, uh, House and Senate Republicans, uh, are pursuing their own investigations into the origins of the pandemic and are pressing the Biden administration and the intelligence community for more information. Uh, U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan declined to confirm or deny the journal's reporting in an appearance Sunday on CNN. He said President Biden had repeatedly directed every part of the intelligence community to invest in trying to discern as much as possible about the origins of the pandemic. Uh, look, I, I believe the Wall Street Journal's reporting here. Uh, there, when a, a government official will can neither confirm nor deny that's pretty much a confirmation that this information is accurate and that the Department of Energy did release it. Ask about the Energy Department's assessment. Senator Dan Sullivan, who's a Republican from Alaska, said Sunday on NBC that Congress needed to hold extensive hearings concerning the origins of the pandemic, adding that China has sought to intimidate other countries from questioning whether the virus emerged naturally. Uh, this is a country that has no problem coming out and lying to the world. Now, that's see, that's the problem that we're going to have. I mean, I don't I, unless, in, until China is forced or they decide to release more information that they have concerning the origins of the virus, we're always going to get so close and no closer to what actually happened because we have to have their honest cooperation to get to the bottom of it. And, of course, you've got Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins out there a year ago, the two top officials when it comes to uh, COVID in, in the country. You know, and, of course, that's why the American people have lost all confidence in what the government has to say about this, because Collins and Fauci were out there calling this a conspiracy theory just a year ago. They were saying that, Anybody that talks about the virus coming from a lab is engaging in conspiracy theories. You had major media platforms were shutting people down if they suggested anything other than the virus coming from a natural cause. And now as the information becomes more available, as we hear more about it, we're finding out more and more that it's more likely than not that it came from the laboratory in Wuhan. I, I To me... That's common sense. I mean, the, the ev when you look at the evidence for a natural occurrence of this, it just doesn't stack up. But the evidence coming from a, a virology uh, experiment in, in Wuhan is compelling. I mean, it's as much as we can know without Chinese cooperation, it looks like this virus definitely came out of a laboratory. And that information, for whatever reason, was being suppressed by the government. And, and by social media outlets. I think the reason is because they didn't want China embarrassed. We've got all these big deals. The NBA just inked another big deal with China in the middle of tensions rising. We've got, you know, the, the Chinese surveillance balloon crossing the country. We've got uh, China threatening to give Russia uh, deadly weapons, uh, weapons of war that they could use against the people in, in Ukraine and their war against Ukraine. All of this going on, and you've got companies here in the United States still looking to expand their economic opportunities 
with a government that's pretty much said that their end goal is the domination of the world, including the United States, which it just doesn't make any sense to me. Why are we so fascinated? Why are progressives so fascinated with the CHICOMs? And I think it's because that that's their own philosophy. They hate capitalism, even though they've they've profited by a capitalist society. They want to take those profits and use it to keep middle class and everyday Americans from gaining the same ability to profit from a free market society, and and whatever for whatever reason, because they've adopted some type of. Uh, communist socialist philosophy, and they're trying to push that on the American people. By the way, the new program that I'm going to have that's going to be available online and via Facebook Live, uh, also uh, on um, YouTube and a couple of other places where we hope to have it available, and it'll be streaming live on the website, is going to be called Truth and Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam, because that's more. That, that title is a little bit more accurate for what we do here because what I try to do is find stories that are presenting the truth about major issues and then highlight those stories and give my commentary on it. it it's incredibly important in a world that's full of deception, uh, intentional deception by the government and by, as Rush Limbaugh would say, their willing accomplices in the mainstream media – to make people think things are true when actually it's the opposite that's taking place. And uh, uh, Exhibit A, as they say, I would I would offer this next story as Exhibit A. Remember in the first segment we were talking about the economy, and then I referenced a poll by WPA that said the economy was the number one concern among Republican primary voters, 38% saying it was the most important thing, but 27% said illegal immigration was second. And then everything else was pretty much single digits in terms of what people are concerned about at the moment. Um, well, we've got this new asylum rule that the Biden administration has come out with, and they're touting it, and they're saying that it is a rule that sort of sounds like a, a rule that President Trump had in place. And, and yet, it's just a shell game. Now, this is according to Lori Riles writing for The Daily Signal. Um, you know, it, it, in January, and, and let's go back and look at another policy that the Department of Homeland Security has put in place that is part of this shell game. It's, it's a way to convince you that they're doing something when actually what they're doing is doing nothing to curb illegal immigration. That's why we're up to a million encounters right now. So in January, the Department of Homeland Security directed future illegal aliens to use the CBP-1 mobile app to make an appointment with Customs and Border Protection to be processed through a port of entry and paroled into the U.S. where they may or may not apply for asylum, but they could get work authorization to stay for up to two years. So what what the what homeland security said was stop going across the border in between ports of entry just go to the port of entry because when you get there you will be allowed to enter and you will be uh, a, allowed to go to some part of the country where then you can seek asylum 
or you can get a work visa that allow you to stay. So then the Biden administration comes out and says, look at how far down the numbers are with Border Patrol encounters in between the ports of entry. Well, of course they're down. If you tell people that all you have to do is go to a port of entry and you're going to be let into the country where then you can apply for asylum or a work visa, that's where they're going to go. They're going to stop crossing at places in between the ports of entry. You're going to see a decline. But in terms of the number of immigrants coming into the country, that number is steadily increasing. It's not going down. Maybe going down in one segment, but where it's going down in one area, it's increasing in another because the Biden administration is just shifting the numbers to a different place. Now, in, in what we're about to have in May... Um, we're going to have the termination of Title 42, which is the public health authority that's used to expel migrants during the COVID-19 pandemic. And the Department of Homeland Security and the Justice Department have proposed a joint rule to avoid more bad optics. And, that, and that's really what they're going to do here. It's, a, it's going to be a way of making it look like, again, just like this rule about going through a point of entry as opposed to crossing the border to other places, this rule is going to make it look like they're doing something when actually they're not. In it, the departments encourage illegal aliens to avail themselves of the lawful, safe, and orderly pathways that the Biden administration created or seek asylum or other protection in countries through which they travel. Now, what the Trump administration called this was the third country transit bar rule, which means if you're coming from El Salvador, you have to seek asylum in the countries that you enter before you get to the United States. If, you've got to, if you're going to cross another country, if you're going to come through Mexico, then you have to request asylum in that country because obviously if the first country you come to, if you're fleeing your country of origin, if it's not the United States, you can't then say that you had no other option but to come to the U.S. And so that sounds like the rule that Trump, the Trump administration put in effect in 2020. But, and, and of course, when, when the government when the Biden administration proposes a rule that sounds like anything that Trump did, the left's going to lose their mind. Progressives are going to be critical. And the right is going to begin to say, okay, maybe we can give the president a little bit of credit here. He's going back and taking a page out of President Trump's book. But here's the problem. The rule would create a rebuttable presumption that an illegal alien is ineligible, is uh, ineligible for asylum in the U.S. if they travel through a third country unless one of several exceptions apply. Now, here's where we get in the weeds. The, with, with the Trump administration, they just said if the rule was straight up. You come through a third country before you get to the United States, you have to apply for asylum there. With the Biden administration, they put in a bunch of exceptions that eviscerates the rule. DHS gave the alien approval to travel to the U.S. to seek parole through a DHS-approved parole process. So in other words, 
if if the if the Department of Homeland Security says to these people crossing a third country that you've got permission to cross that country and come into the U.S., then this rule means nothing. So all they have to do is to say to those who are circumventing the rule that they were invited or given permission, then they're going to make it into the United States and the numbers are going to continue to rise. Uh, the alien presented at a port of entry after using the CBP mobile app to schedule their port appointment or demonstrate that it was not possible to access the mobile app because the alien doesn't have a mobile phone, then the CBP app was not functioning properly, maybe because you can't get a cell signal in the middle of the desert, okay, or the alien is illiterate, then the alien is an unaccompanied or the alien is an unaccompanied minor or the alien sought asylum or other protection in a country to which the alien traveled and received a final destination denying the application. So you, basically, here's the deal. Um, the rule is in place to look good. It's to create the impression that the Biden administration is doing something to curb illegal immigration when the exceptions eviscerate the rule, make it non-functional, and allow the number of illegal immigrants to continue to, to rise, which is what the administration wants. It's what progressives want. They want the country to be flooded with people who are coming here that I, I, I get it. They, I can understand why people want to be in the United States. It's much better than where they are. But the reason progressives want them to be here is not altruistic, except for Democrats. They want them to be here because they believe that once they take advantage of the system in the United States that is defended by progressives, they themselves will become more progressive and vote that way. And as we've talked about on this program, a lot of people coming from different South American countries are a lot of them are Catholic. A lot of them have conservative moral values when it comes to thing like, things like sexuality, when it comes to things like abortion. They tend to line up more closely with those issues the, with the Republican Party. But the issues of the economy and being able to get here and being able to stay here trump the moral issues. So even though the GOP has made some inroads with uh, Hispanic voters, overall, the uh, progressives are still winning that battle. Yes, gains have been made, but not enough to say that the future of the GOP is going to be that we're going to be able to take enough Hispanic voters in, in the country at large away from Democrats in order to keep the balance of power. If, if you look at Florida, you can say yes. Um, it looks like Hispanics are moving in greater numbers in Florida toward the GOP. But in Texas, only in some areas. In Arizona, in California in particular, and other places when, where, those, um, Hispan where the Hispanics are landing, where they're, where they're ending up, if they're blue states and they tend to have generous programs that are helping them make the transition, they tend to gravitate toward the Democrat Party. Now, they're not citizens yet, so they, they can't legally vote in an election. But once that f switch gets flipped, which is going to happen at some point, I mean, at, at some point we're going to have another uh, 
point where we have a lot of illegal aliens that are declared to be citizens in any kind of immigration reform once we get to it. And eventually, we're going to get to it, particularly if we have um, a majority Democrat administration, and then it's going to be much easier for them to keep that. All right. By the way, one of the things we're going to talk about tomorrow um, when Austin's here, and he, I talked to him over the weekend, and he basically asked me if I would wait to talk about seeing the Jesus Revolution movie uh, until he's here because he wants to have a conversation about that. He's fascinated about the Jesus movement. And uh, Denise and I went to the movies Friday night to see the movie, uh, The Jesus Revolution. And I'll just say this, it's a great movie. It's very well done. So if you're looking for uh, to find out a little bit more about the history of the Jesus movement, how it spawned the Vineyard Movement, how it created the Calvary Chapel Movement, how it started Greg Laurie's ministry, which is now uh, Harvest Ministries, one of the most successful ministries in California and now nationwide as he's having these Harvest Crusades all over the place. Um, you'll, you'll really enjoy it. It's kind, of the, it's kind of a biography of Chuck Smith and um, Lonnie Frisbee and... Um, um, what's it, Greg Laurie? Yeah, the name wouldn't come to me all of a sudden. So um, it's how he met his wife, Kathy. And so we'll talk about some of the theological ramifications of that and a little bit about the Jesus movement and how it relates to the revival uh, fires that are kind of popping up around the United States right now. And we'll do all that tomorrow when Austin Barker's here. Right now, I want to talk about uh, the Air Force, and as Ricky Ricardo would say to Lucy Ricardo, the Air Force has some splaining to do about why they were duped into releasing personal records of three Republican candidates in relation to the 2022 midterms. So I found this story fascinating because of the methods that were used here. There's a guy named Abraham Payton. And he works for a group called Due Diligence. Uh, He's a private investigator. And he went to the Air Force and requested the personnel records and background information on about um, 11 people. And three of them we know now. We, We don't have any details on eight of them. But three we know were Republican congressional candidates from various states. He, and, and so this private investigator somehow got their Social Security numbers, convinced the Air Force that he was doing a background check for their work employment, and were able to obtain all their personnel records. And when you began to look at what, what was done with all of this, um, he was working for a Democrat-aligned super PAC that specialized in opposition research is what he did before he started this group called the Due Diligence Group. And FEC filings show that the two main PACs for congressional Democrats raising money for the election, the midterms in 2022, paid Peyton's firm nearly $230,000 in 2021 and 22. So all this money coming from opposition research being conducted by Democrats to get Peyton as a private investigator to be able to release personal information from the Air Force to hurt Republican uh, candidates. 
So a month before the election, Jennifer Ruth Green was running for the U.S. House in Indiana, and her personnel records were released to the media. And in that in those records, it, it revealed that she reported being sexually assaulted during a combat tour in Iraq in 2010. And about a month later, the Air Force told Republican Congressman Don Bacon that his files had been released, and Congressman Zach Nunn of Iowa was also affected when his personal information was released by the Air Force. They released between they, these files, all of them, including the eight that we don't have any information about, was released between October of 2021 and December of 2022. So Air Force, of course, you, you know what I'm going to tell you about their internal investigation, right? They conducted an extensive internal investigation and found no criminal action or malicious intent. But they did overhaul the way that information is released to the public. So they put what they call additional safeguards into place. Uh, so there's a lot of calls right now for a criminal investigation, and I think there should be, because here you've got the Air Force, either through incompetence or because somebody violated their protocols, you're not supposed to get any personal information released from anywhere, but particularly the military, without direct permission of the people who, that the information is going to affect. Their personal files cannot be released without their permission. But apparently, as we said, Peyton was able to get Social Security numbers, personal information, and convince the Air Force that he was simply doing a work background check. And then that information got passed on to Democrat operatives who were doing op opposition research in favor of Democrat candidates in the 2022 midterms. So this, this, is, this is a terrible breach of people's personal and confidential information. It's criminal behavior to get somebody to obtain a Social Security number and get people's personal information under false pretenses. So yes, the Justice Department should investigate this. Don't hold your breath. The Justice Department is never interested in investigating things that affect conservatives, particularly Republicans, in the way that they are to investigate police departments, to investigate, um, you know, Christians who are engaging in pro-life activities or Christians who go to school board meetings. I mean, the, the Justice Department's interested in that, but you give them a case of fraud perpetrated against Republican candidates to get personal files released, I doubt they'll show much interest, even if pressure's put on by Congress. 888-900-3393.